0: This is 105.9 The Region, and you're listening to Discovery, the radio show for podcasters. Your content, unfiltered. This is Discovery. Hello, I'm Cal Steiger, your host of Discovery, a show of podcasts. This week, we cross the pond to hear discussions hosted by King's College in London, England, about a very weighty topic, inequality. This episode is a virtual symposium of academics, students, and practitioners who believe inequality is the issue of our time. Experts working in this area from King's College London, the London School of Economics, and the University of Sydney contribute perspective on this compelling problem that shows us the urgent need to find a solution through these dialogues. This episode looks at the importance of contextualizing inequality through a discussion of Thomas Piketty's book, Capital in the 21st Century, and Mike Savage's cutting-edge book, The Return of Inequality. Inequality takes many forms. We combine understandings of history with the economic frames of income and wealth inequality and do this to recognize the conditions that create and reproduce inequality between groups in society. So sit back and get prepared to think.
1: This is a dialogue about inequality, the issue of our time. A three-part series of dialogues facilitated by Dr. Jonna Montgomery, Professor of International Political Economy at King's College, London. When we think about what is just, we think about who gets what. A distributive paradigm looks at wealth levels, material goods, and social position to evaluate the well-being of society. The term inequality refers to a lack of equality between different groups within society and asks whether it's just. For many, inequality is one of the greatest challenges facing humanity in the 21st century because it erodes prosperity and destabilizes society. How can we tackle the shared problem of climate breakdown when society is seriously stratified? Many of us can recognize inequities in everyday conversation, whether about race, gender, climate, or the historical geographies of inequality caused by colonialism. Inequality is another word for the serious social challenges facing human society, which are systemic, and woven into the very fabric of daily life and are deeply unjust. Those least responsible for society's ills are suffering disproportionately. This only breeds further division in society when we need greater cohesion to solve collective problems like climate change and a viral pandemic. How can it be that it's not a news item when an elderly homeless person dies of exposure? But it is news when the stock
0: market loses two points. 19% of black Americans have negative net worth today compared to 8% of white Americans. The inequality has gone up in almost every country. How long can
2: you be peaceful when your people are dying? A power imbalance, lack of accountability and gender inequality. Enough is enough. Welcome everyone. The Politics of Inequality Working Group here at King's has organized this virtual symposium as a way to break through the silos of academic disciplines and bring into dialogue those at the very cutting edge of research on inequality. We are bringing together academics, students and practitioners who believe inequality is the issue of our time. That's not just because inequality is getting worse, but rather because inequality is a compelling problem that shows us the urgent need to find a solution. Through these dialogues, we seek to make progress in advancing our thinking about what creates inequality, but also how it touches our lives in really meaningful ways. At times, the view of inequality may appear bleak, as it clouds progressive ideals that social democracy will bring about regular advances in well being, as we once thought. But instead of bowing to fatalism, Now, in the midst of a global pandemic, we must think anew of a politics of social and planetary sustainability. We discussed together as a working group and then sought out our colleagues at other universities to share their ideas, research and proposals with us. We asked them to explain what it means to call inequality the issue of our time. We wanted to examine who is unequal, what causes inequality and why it's an urgent area of study. So let me introduce my colleagues, Drs. Lee Savage and Stephen Klein from the Politics of Inequality Working Group here at King's College
0: London. What do we mean by income inequality? What do we mean by wealth inequality? And in some ways also like, how is the need to expand how we think about inequality not just being driven sort of by intellectual reasons, but also being driven by reality. The world has changed such that more narrow economic approaches no longer are as appropriate.
3: And when we discuss inequality is like this difference between what we might think of as sort of the natural rate of inequality in the world or what we call gross inequality versus what we call net inequality, which is the level of inequality we see in countries after governments get involved through taxes and transfers, because then we see that the level of inequality we observe in countries is a choice. It's a political choice. And that's what interested me. Why do some countries choose to be more equal? Why do they choose to tax and spend more than others? And so that was really my entry into this for, um, on a, from an academic standpoint when I started going into it in my own research. I wanted to understand why we observe these outcomes, why some countries want to make more of an effort.
2: Now let me bring in Martin O'Neill, Professor of Political Theory at the University of York, who's written extensively on inequality as well as the politics of social change.
4: The kind of bias towards thinking about economic outcomes in terms of private consumption really directs our attention away from the significance of various sorts of public provision that are going to be both better for the environment and better for kind of living flourishing, enjoyable lives. If we're too focused on private world, private consumption, we lose a lot of actually what matters in just our lives going well. And there's also an environmental reason as well to think about various sorts of collective and public solutions instead of of always thinking only in terms of the kind of holding, the private holdings of individuals. If you have a fantastic system of public transport, so that you don't need to own the SUV or, or whatever it might be, if you have kind of collective investments in public plenty and sort of public affluence, then the significance of private consumption within your life obviously can be reduced. It's not that important that you have various sorts of private goods if if the public domain is is sufficiently richly endowed.
2: There's little doubt that Thomas Piketty's 2014 book, Capital in the 21st Century, is a key text shaping present-day concerns about inequality or at least what made inequality a key concern of elites. His book presented evidence from decades of historical tax records, showing how the poles of inequality move further apart and closer together. His central argument is a distributive one, that when returns to capital from wealth surpass those from employment income, inequality worsens. This simple idea is very controversial among economists, as well as politicians, who believe that inequality is tied to the opportunities provided, not the outcome of government policy.
1: Nobel Prize winner, economist and author Paul Krugman, has this to say about Piketty's findings. At a time when the concentration of wealth and income in the hands of a few has resurfaced as a central political issue, Piketty doesn't just offer invaluable documentation of what's happening. With unmatched historical depth, he also offers what amounts to a unified field theory of inequality, one that integrates economic growth, the distribution of income between capital and labor, and the distribution of wealth and income among individuals into a single frame. Capital in the 21st Century is an extremely important book on all fronts. Trichetti has transformed our economic discourse. We'll never talk about wealth and inequality, the same way we used to.
2: Well, now I wanna bring in Dr. James Meadway, who's director of the Progressive Economy Forum and has worked for many years in progressive circles to advance an agenda that tackles inequality among other issues.
5: I've only got one thing to add really, which is just, and it's a practical point in many ways, but it's also the the environment that that we know very well. I mean, the figures are very, very clear. The top 1% of humanity produces the same emissions as the bottom half. (laughs) <laughs> the poorest three and a bit billion people, the same emissions as the top one percent. If we think there are fairly hard, let's call them limits on what we can do to the environment, if we know that we have to restrain emissions, we know that we have to reduce resource use, you run pretty much immediately into having to say the kind of society that sustains the kinds of consumption that produce that inequality is going to have to be addressed. We we have to do something to redistribute the wealth, to redistribute forms of consumption. The breakthrough that Piketty makes is, is in a sense, not really something new that's being brought into the conversation. It's more of a return to what economics used to think about. You have a very long period of time with mainstream economic thinking where inequality is either played down as a concern. So, in other words, it's like it's there, but it's not really an economic issue. It's like something you might want to fix. If you're the government, you could choose to do something about this if you happen to choose to do this. Uh, and what Piketty does is, is, sort of, at the level of theory, he reintroduces this this older concern with distribution. And when I say old, like really, this is the mainstream economics from classical economists, right? This is ricardo or adam smith or Karl marx all the way through to probably john Stuart mill is is the kind of hinge point in in terms of economic thinking Uh, and he he turns it from being uh something that's potentially something you might think about if you're a government who cares about inequality into being this is a driving factor in, in what the economy does so he reintroduces that and he breaks the link he shutters that link he basically says you have accumulation of wealth and there's a a rather complex discussion about what wealth is because it's not necessarily that easy to pin it down and Piketty struggles with this a bit in the first part of the book but then when he gets onto the empirical side he says he has accumulation of wealth and you have the economic growth that happens in the rest of society. And if wealth is accumulating faster than economic growth, you end up with rising inequality. And for much of the last sort of 40 years or so, in fact, much of capitalism's history least to the sort of older capitalist countries like Britain, France, America, the three he he talks most about, um, this is what's happened. And he sets up this kind of quite powerful but also quite simple dynamic, where if the people who own wealth are getting more returns to that wealth, In other words, if the return you get on all the property that you own, the the houses that you rent out, the offices that you rent out, the intellectual property you lay claim to, if the returns to that are higher than the growth that is happening in the rest of the economy, which is, by the way, where most of us live. Most of us don't have much property, so we have to rely on kind of what the rest of the economy is doing. Inequality inevitably gets worse and worse over time. And it's a kind of simple, powerful, empirically justified argument that, that shifts the entire debate around inequality from being something that is a sort of social policy, nice-to-have question, into something that's central to how we understand what the economy is doing.
1: What is clear is that inequality has many overlapping registers. It connects history, geography, economics, and society together. What animates this dialogue is exploring the forms inequality takes.
0: Income inequality is still a big problem for minorities and those who are less educated. We're going to have greater inequality.
1: The rich era got richer and the poor got poorer. You know?
0: We're going to have greater racial disparity as well. The economy, even though it fits and starts, is rebounding. Minorities, those with less education, they're not going to participate in that recover, and that's going to put them further behind as we go down the road.
2: Now I'm delighted to bring in our colleagues from the London School of Economics International Inequalities Institute to join our dialogue. This landmark institute was created as a much needed interdisciplinary hub, precisely seeking to break through academic silos. Their goal is to generate world leading research on inequality, explicitly its multiple and overlapping forms. We are joined now by the institute's former director, Professor Mike Savage.
1: Mike Savage's newest book, The Return of Inequality, sits at the cutting edge as it provides a synthesis of what he calls the inequality paradigm to consider what it says about the weight of the past as a force configuring social change today. The book itself is expansive and juxtaposes many different ways of understanding inequality. As a telescope as to what happens to incomes and work, the playing field of relative inequality or how people themselves understand their position within an unequal world. Savage draws out the wider stakes involved with invoking inequality in order to infuse a broader sociological reflection on the contemporary inequality.
6: What I was trying to do was reflect upon the way in which the return of greater levels of income inequality are also tied up with broader social changes, including the pulling apart of the class structure, if you like. So the return of elites, the return of wealthy individuals and households and dynasties who are just much more privileged than anybody else. The loss, if you like, or the erosion of kind of middle-class society. So you're, you're losing the kind of sense of a public sphere, which used to be strongly oriented towards that grouping. And then I tried to push it forward too, in terms of using this interesting capital, which, of course, Piketty calls his first 2014 book capital of the 21st century. And he deliberately links back to Marx a bit, although he's not really using a Marxist concept. But the notion of capital is an, uh, it's a concept which has obviously been used by sociologists like Pierre Bourdieu, who've always interested me. And the point which Bourdieu brings out, which I try and pull through in this book, is that capital is a force from the past. It's what Bourdieu calls accumulated history. So when you have a capital of some kind, an asset, if you want to use those terms, you are making a call on the present based upon the capacities you've built up, your family or your household have built up, possibly over many years. And Bourdieu argues that capital isn't just economic, it's also social or cultural. So it can also be about your social networks, it can also be about your cultural resources. And I was really interested in tracing through all those capitals and how they are curating together. And how therefore the return of inequality is also about the return of these historical forces which empower people with those capitals to have enhanced resources and capacities to do things. And I was interested in this for many, many reasons, but one of them was that we have this very conceit about everything's happening in the future, you know, we're living in this turbocharged world of new devices, you know, mobile phones and driverless cars, AI. And actually, that tends to take our attention away from these historical forces, these long-term residues and legacies and build-up of history, which I wanted to kind of bring back. So the takeaway of my book is to say, really, let's leave behind this modern conceit about, you know, we've moved on from previous societies. We're actually not that different in some ways from imperial capitalism with dynastic elites, imperial forms of power, and our assumptions about liberal democracy, you know, were very short-lived, and they're being unpicked as we speak. Here, I do think that we need to do better than that. We need to recognise that national boundaries are extremely porous. We need to think about extending our analysis beyond the nation scale. And of course, here, wealth and assets are really, really vital because the more wealth and assets you have, the more easy it is to move them around, and the more they cross borders and the more which, for instance, the housing assets are driven by international flows of capital and so forth, it's really important to think about inequality on the global scale and not stacking up nations as if they're autonomous bits and you you deal with them as analytical equivalents. So here I, I draw upon Milanovic's work, which is influential and very interesting, and he clearly brings in that the emerging economies, particularly in Asia, India and China and to some extent Brazil and other parts of the world have massively seen rise of. We have to think about rethinking that kind of left project and trying to create new alliances between different kinds of liberal left socialist traditions. And so, what I look back in the what I do in the book is to look back to a kind of early, early tradition of radical thinking. People talking about rent, rent extraction, elites, yeah. corruption, old corruption. It was called in the British context. William Cobbett called it the thing. You know, we're back at that kind of world where we actually have to call elites to account, not that you know, obviously using sophisticated intellectual instruments, but also often quite direct and personal observations about how particular cronies is is operating. And so it is to kind of hopefully encourage us not to be too what's the word you know iconoclastic about our particular preference if you are on the kind of progressive left, but to try and bring in the board to recover that border alliance between liberal left thinking more. Marxist thinking. Now, I'm not optimistic enough to think that's going to be an easy call, because I think we still live, live with these very powerful legacies of iconoclastic views on the left, but it is, I think, what we need to try and do to try and tackle the, the return of inequality. Inheritance and the passing on of resources isn't just about passing on economic resources, it's also about passing on those cultural capacities.
2: What is really exciting about Professor Savage's book, The Return of Inequality, is is his in-depth explanation of the profound and deleterious effects inequality has in shaping societies. Especially the ways in which the historical legacies of empire creates inequality on a global scale. But also his look at inequality internally in the creation of insider and outsider groups, what we call intergroup inequality, or the ways in which gender, race, and class, when understood from a long-term historical perspective, are very important drivers of what is called today income or wealth inequality. Let me turn now to my colleague from King's College London, Dr. Stephen Klein. Can you please offer your reflection?
0: There's a kind of injustice living in a society where certain individuals control this enormous inherited wealth or property, and there are many people that are not gaining access to normal employment and, you know, I think there's something kind of just inherently wrong about living in a society where you have the super wealthy who can build yachts, or people who have inherited their house through their family, and other people who are being deprived of basic necessities who are living in poverty.
2: I want to turn again to our colleagues at the LSE's International Inequalities Institute. Dr. Luna Glucksberg, you are a researcher there. What's your perspective?
3: Looking at inequality, we're really looking at the weight of the past. And so it's not just in the here and now, it's not just about income inequality and how much money I make and somebody in the city makes, but it's about the accumulation that our families have behind us. And if you go out further, our societies, our countries and our empires have been through the fact that Europe is now the wealthiest place more or less on earth, comes from far, far away. And it's not to do just with European countries, it's to do with the accumulation of assets and dispossession of resources and people from the empire. So by looking at inequality, we really are looking at the weight of the past.
1: The super-rich are an important element of inequality. In 2018, Oxfam outlined evidence that eight people owned as much wealth as nearly four billion people who comprised the bottom half of the world's wealth distribution. What's important is not just who's at the top, but how this type of distribution, a very small few with wealth at the top and masses at the bottom, affects the rest of society. In other words, how does wealth inequality magnify across numerous social axes? as there are clear gender and racial lines, which includes indigenous peoples, in whom wealth is distributed in society but also globally.
3: It's a very affluent area to live, but we're no different to anyone else, just normal people. What
7: would it take then for you to consider yourself financially wealthy? It's
1: when
3: I've got my Aston Martin.
1: If you come from a background where you've already got that, it's it's an easier start in life. There's a lot of people who haven't got nothing. We
3: don't go out to eat at restaurants.
7: We don't go to the fish and chip shop and buy food. I'm in debt myself for about £5,000. To us, it's a fortune. It has been stressful, but at times it's made me cry.
0: By 2030, the top 1% will share someplace between 37 and 40% of national income, and the bottom 50% of Americans will share just mm. 6 That's not a capitalist market economy anymore, that's a feudal system.
2: Of course, this point about historical discrimination was made first and most forcefully by Professor Kimberly Crenshaw. Her compelling research on U.S. employment law showed how people experience intersecting forms of discrimination. Her most famous example is of a black woman denied work at a local factory. This woman was unable to claim racial discrimination because black men had jobs at this factory. She was unable to claim gender discrimination because white women had jobs at this factory. So what was clear was that there were overlapping forms of disadvantage in the equality of opportunity in this workplace. More recently, in 2017, Mirsa Bardarin's book The Color of Money detailed the entangled history of advances in civil rights coming at the same time as polarizing inequality in America. The nightmare of inequality persists for many African Americans into the present day and she explores this in her book in terms of the pronounced racial wealth gap in the United States. She explains that the racial wealth gap not only means that black families have greater difficulty ascending the economic ladder, Bardarin's book tells a compelling story of structural inequality, in which people of colour must negotiate capitalism without any capital. Let me bring in my colleague from King's College, Dr. Lee Savage. You have a very interesting point of view on this.
3: People talk about this distinction between equality of outcome and equality of opportunity, whereas I don't think you can really divorce the two. If you have a high level of inequality of outcome, then you, you have a high level of inequality of opportunity. And that works the other way around, too. When I looked at this from a social mobility perspective... If we go back to, say, from the mid-1990s with the new Labour government in the UK stressing equality of opportunity more than equality of outcome, it seemed to overlook to me that if you have a high level of inequality, those opportunities tend to gather at the top as well as the income. If you have just more economic resources, then you are able to marshal more of those opportunities for your own children, yourself and and your offspring and so on, and your future generations, and that tends to perpetuate inequalities. And so in that respect, it became also some of this matter of fairness as well. Is it fair that someone can work just as hard, but just because they don't have a background in which their family could hoard opportunities, that hard work doesn't necessarily pay off, despite working equally as hard as someone who does come from a family who also has many more opportunities to provide for their children. So I think it was a realization actually that inequality of opportunity and inequality of income tended to go hand in hand.
2: Now let's bring in an economics perspective. I want to welcome Professor Jan Toporowski from the School of Oriental and African Studies. Please Jan, what's your contribution?
7: I think that a lot of the data on growing inequality reflects changing structures of inequality rather than growing inequality itself. When a lot of people discuss inequality or are concerned about inequality, they're concerned about issues of poverty. Poverty is a serious problem, but it's not the same thing as inequality. Britain and Switzerland are more or less the same levels of income inequality, but Britain has serious problems of poverty. And although Switzerland has pockets of inequality, it's nowhere on the same scale. So there's something different happening. And this is why I'm slightly sceptical of the approach that simply looks at inequality and then says this is increasing This is a bad thing. One has to analyze why it's a bad thing.
2: That's a really excellent point. Now let me bring in Dr. Martin O'Neill from the University of York. What did you want to say?
4: One of the great contributions of of Piketty is that sense that that economics doesn't have to be this completely marginalized discipline and can actually be productively in conversation with with other disciplines that that have their own histories of thinking about inequality and its significance and why we're worried about it.
2: Let's give the last word to Professor Mike Savage from the LSE's International Inequalities Institute.
6: Piketty and the group around Piketty in the Paris School of Economics who really emphasised how the trend towards declining inequality, which was evident in the years after the Second World War particularly, has been reversed, and kind of what that means for understanding society, politics, and recognising too that Piketty's approach is very economistic, as you would expect, he's an economist, and he's only really tracing the kind of impact on income shares and bid on wealth. But he doesn't really pull out the wider implications.
1: The role of prosperity and weight of history must be considered more closely when creating the poles of inequality, the places where intergroup social inequality meets the economic system. These poles of the ultra-rich elite the fragile middle, and precarious poverty do not stand alone, but are interconnected as social groupings within nations, but also globally.
2: What has emerged from our discussion so far is the importance of contextualizing inequality. If we talk about inequality just in economic terms as wealth or income levels, or as the Gini coefficient, then blind spots are formed which ignore the forms inequality takes in society. The most obvious to me are gender and racial inequalities, and the long standing arguments made by feminists and people of color to recognize that class inequality is not just unidimensional. But when we think about wider social stratification, we combine understandings of the weight of history with the economic frames of income and wealth inequality. And we do this to recognize the conditions that create and reproduce inequality between groups in society.
0: Thank you for joining Discovery this week. If you'd like to hear today's episode again or missed any part of it, go to 105.9 The Region's website where you can stream this or any other of our weekly podcasts. Look forward to having you next week as we continue to explore the world of podcasts. Discovery, the radio show for podcasters, exclusive to 105.9 The Region. Expand your audience and extend your reach. Send us your podcast, info at 1059theregion.com.